Peace Building Podcast. My name is Susan Coleman. I'm a global coach, mediator, and the host of this podcast. Join me as I interview today's most creative, courageous, and sometimes outrageous mediators, coaches, entrepreneurs, and out-of-the-box thinkers whose work, whether intended or not, is building peace. Tune in for pure inspiration as we explore the best stories, the best practices, the best ideas of a new world emerging. I have with me David Gage. He's a clinical psychologist, a business mediator who specializes in partnership, family, and closely held business mediation and preventative charters, which you'll hear more about. He's been in the business a long time and is a leading authority um, in this space. He's an author of a really interesting book called The Partnership Charter, How to Start Out Right with Your New Business Partnership or Fix the One You're In. And he's really a pioneer in providing uh, this kind of service to partners in closely held businesses. As you know, in the Peace Building podcast, uh, I like to focus on um, people that are building new models, new ways of doing things. It's that uh, Buckminster Fuller quote that is a cornerstone of this podcast, that uh, you never change things by fighting the existing reality. To, to change something, you have to build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. Well, I think David has built a, a new model. And um, what's magical about him is that he blends, um, you know, just being a super kind, calm, wonderful human being um, with also being deeply knowledgeable about all the business issues and psychological issues and every other issue that goes into partnerships, which are, it's, it's pretty complex. So, um, so uh, we go back, he and I go back a long way. In fact, um, he's really one of my oldest business colleagues in this. I think he probably is my oldest business colleague in this field. We met at, at uh, Harvard University a long time ago, I think doing either negotiation training or mediation training, I don't remember which, and we've been friends and colleagues Ever since, and with full disclosure, I also am one of the associates with uh, Business Mediation Associates, uh, which um, does the kind of work that David's going to describe. So, David, uh, welcome. Thanks for being on the Peace Building Podcast. It's really great to have you. Pleasure to be here, Susan, but it's embarrassing all those kind words you said about me. <laughs> well, you know, they're really true, every single one of them. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not fluffing it. I think everything <laughs> I say is, is really true. Thanks. So um, I want to just get right into it um, because, you know, as I've said to you, time can really fly on these things. And, um, and I just want to know, first of all, I mean, I thought we'd start with talking about uh, the process uh, partnership mediation, closely held mediation in general, and then get some, uh, get a story or two out of you that would be really interesting for the listeners to hear. Does that sound, sound good to you? Sure. Okay. So, you know, I guess the first question is, uh, tell us why you started this business. Hmm. Well, I, I always tell folks I grew up in a family business, and many people actually grew up in family businesses <clears throat> because there are a lot of family businesses out there, 
But so that early experience uh, and just being a young kid who got to see what the effects of, a, of being in a family business and how, how much it consumes your life, really, uh, seeing how, how that happens as a, as a child and picking up on all of the things that are going on, all of the interpersonal things and even some of the business things, you, it, it, uh, in a way, unfortunately, taught me at a very early age. I was convinced probably by about age seven or eight that I didn't want to go into the family business. <laughs> I wanted nothing to do with it. Uh-huh. But, but I think years later, Susan, I realized that, oh, lo and behold, it, it, it was a large part of what propelled me into psychology and becoming a clinical psychologist. There has to be a story there. There always is a story there. <laughs> and, and then also just specializing in, with families. I specialized, I taught um, psychiatry residents at a medical school how to work with families early on. That was in the 80s. But it was around that time that I realized really that uh, people who are in business together, whether they're family or not family and just regular business partners um, really did not have a good place to turn if they got sort of sideways with one another. And, and that was what convinced me that we, we just needed something new. Yeah. So uh, what were you seeing as being what would happen, or did you see what was happening? You just that they there was just stalemate, impasse, or well, well, they 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 would do that, but then they would tend to turn to their trusted advisors, and usually that was an, their accountant, and everybody sort of trusted the accountant because they revealed so much to them. But or possibly they would go to an attorney, uh, but the problem was that. They were trained, attorneys and accountants are trained to do certain things, and they really aren't trained in how to, um, how to resolve conflicts among their clients. Plus that you have issues of them not really being neutral. So that could, when they did get pulled in to their clients' in, you know, inter-owner conflicts, it could be, it could be quite disastrous. Uh, because they weren't really neutral, but they were kind of being like a neutral, and they weren't really trained, so they were kind of mediating, but they weren't trained in mediation. So oftentimes it blew up. Well, fundamentally, they're so trained to be advocating for their client to their full, I mean, that's their job, to be advocating for their client. So it's it's hard, I think, sometimes for them to be playing an intermediary role and an advocacy role at the same time. Well, and and in, in most cases, they would have a much stronger relationship with one of the parties. You yeah. know, and it, yeah. in family businesses, it would typically be the father or, or the mother, and they would have the strongest relationship with that person. But the kids usually, if they had adult children in the business, they would um, feel very left out and that there was a real bias in the system. Hey, David, you know, could you tell us something about uh, the world of partnerships in general? I mean, a a kind of uh, some background on how many of them there are, you know, uh, well, we're saying partnerships. Maybe Mm -hmm. you could also break it down. They're partnerships. They're closely Mm -hmm. held companies. They're family businesses. Well, 
Uh, you're right, Susan. There are all of those, and that's why that's why the statistics are very hard to come by. But um, there's been a, a good amount of research on family-owned businesses, and you can generally figure out what <clears throat> businesses in the country are either family-owned or family-controlled. You know, so they don't have. They can be public companies like Ford or Marriott, but they. Those uh, are say, sorry. Those are family companies. Those are, are large family companies, mm-hmm. huge family companies, and in in the U.S. about thirty five percent. Now, most people don't realize this. Many people, when they think of family businesses, they think of small companies, and it's true that family. Uh, own companies make up about 80 to 90 percent of all, if you look at all companies in the United States, it's, it's huge. Wow. They're a huge number. Wow. 80 and to 90 percent? Percent of all companies are really family, family controlled. And about, wait, sorry, David, because some of our you know listeners are from other parts of the world. And if you took that outside of oh, the United if States? You go, if you go outside of the U.S., Susan, it's, uh, it's really almost a higher percentage usually. Okay, wow. And so in the United States, if you look at large companies like Fortune 500 companies, the typical statistic is that about 35% of those Fortune 500s, Fortune 500 companies, the largest 500 companies in the United States are, are family uh, controlled. Wow. It's, it's, it's enormous. And, well, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then if you look at just in, in another way, if you think about, you know, the U.S. gross domestic product, you're talking about almost two-thirds, some 60-some percent of it is really generated by family businesses. And really, we're, and we always are, in, in my work, we're looking at family or non-family partners, but closely held companies. What does that mean for the listeners? Uh, companies that are, are co-owned by a small group of partners, maybe typically two, three, four, five, but it could be, you know, up to 10 partners. That are not, a, not publicly traded. Not, uh, they could be tra- publicly traded, actually. Oh, okay. um, but they are um, really managed or controlled by a small group of people. A small group of people is really making decisions about the company. And why did you choose to, to focus there versus larger larger systems because certainly you're saying hmm. that a lot of those systems are family owned uh, or you know but but you're going in to the smaller partnerships up to 10 smaller partnerships closely held businesses family businesses why why there well well certainly there are conflicts uh, among those who run large corporations you know, people get thrown out and there are fights and all kinds of things happens in large corporations. But the way that they resolve those issues, um, they often don't have exactly the kind of control that people who really own and run a closely held company have. Yeah. Um, it's, just, it's just a very different – it's so much more intimate with a closely held business, Susan. I think that's how I would – it would come down for me when you have a closely held company and you have the owners or family members who are in conflict, they want help and they recognize that it is really a very complex mix of interpersonal and business and money and those kinds of issues. Um, And that 
they need to resolve them. They need to talk and resolve them. And so then, they, they yeah. think differently than mm -hmm. the people who run large corporations. Yeah, and then like in a kind of case that you and I were just working on, which was a family business, they have the they have the dimension that they, there's no way to they don't it's hard to go home and leave it behind. Right. <laughs> and sometimes, I mean sometimes, but that makes it add, you know, added complexity. Mm -hmm. So you started this business. I think in I don't know, was it uh when when did you start BMC? Uh, about 25, 26 years ago, around 1990. And you, you started it focusing on bringing mediation um, to uh, these kinds of businesses. And then later you brought uh, partnership charter processes um, as two, you know, two new, I mean, mediation at this point is not new, but it's still new. <laughs> it's new. It's not, it is, you know, I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's still in some ways taking hold, even though it's, it, it's certainly everybody understands the word at this point. Um, but I think in my experience as a mediator and having worked in lots of different kinds of industry segments with mediation, what you do lends itself most perfectly to mediation processes because of the intimacy that you're talking about. Um, so I don't know if you would, dis if you could describe a bit, like, could you give a um, yeah, could you say something about um, why you think this is effective as a process mm. and, com and, and contrast it to other processes, just so people sure. have a sense? Absolutely. And it's not that other processes aren't important. So what we recommend for all, uh, I mean, imagine yourself having partners and having to deal with the issue of, okay, well, what happens if we get into conflict? What are we going to do? Uh, that's a really um, critical question anytime you come together in a partnership. And what I mean by partnership, of course, is not the legal entity of being partners in a partnership versus an LLC, but just any kind of business partners. Sorry, uh, that might be, maybe you could break that down a little bit because that's confusing, I think. To oh, people. sure. Yeah. When we, we're, look, we're talking about partners, we mean just people who come together to have some kind of a business, regardless of the legal entity, whether they're members, quote unquote, members in an LLC or stockholders in a in a C corporation, that, that really doesn't matter. What's critical to us is that people are working together and co-owning some kind of business, however they do that. So they need to think about, okay, what happens if we get sideways with one another? What happens if we have disagreements and we can't seem to resolve them? Well, years ago, um, people just had, they got lawyers and they would sue one another. And, and then there came and the alternative of arbitration. So we really still counsel people to have a three-step procedure for resolving conflicts. First, sit down and negotiate, try to ne talk about it, negotiate, talk about what has to be different. If that fails, then go to the second stage with it, which is mediation. Ask a professional mediator um, to assist with your negotiations, because that's how we describe mediation is just assisted negotiations. And, and then, and then people also say, often say, ask whether, well, mediation, is that binding? If you reach an agreement, is that a binding 
agreement. And we always explain that, yes, when two business people reach an agreement and sign it, they are bound by that. So if they're in mediation and they reach an agreement, yes, and they sign it, they are bound by that. But the problem is that mediation is voluntary. It's a voluntary activity. So any person involved can withdraw from it at any time and say, didn't work. It didn't work. So what do they do then? So if you have business partners and and mediation doesn't work, then the third step is arbitration. And and we encourage business partners to have an agreement that says we have three-step process for resolving conflicts, negotiation among ourselves, mediation with the mediators, and finally arbitration. And that will be binding on us. We will be bound by that process. Hey, you know, um, I don't know if you'd be willing to share, I'm cycling back a little bit to your history and what got you into this, but mm. the, stri- you know, was, uh, the story you told about your, your former wife's, uh, how that got resolved around the travel agency, and, you know, because it's a good case in point of what can happen when you take a litigated approach. Uh, so I don't know if you'd tell, give some oh, color sure. to that I, anecdote. I, I, I would, you know, I would... The- the way that's very illustrative is just to help people realize that what I call a garden variety business partner dispute, you, if you go that litigation route, it is rare that it will be resolved with less than a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars of legal expenses because really essentially what happens when partners go to um, litigation and sue one another over their differences is that the lawyers, um, one of the first things they say is, okay, I can do this for you. I can, I can help you with this. I think we, you have a good case. Uh, so stop talking to your business partner. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, you can't keep talking to your business partner. You talk to me, I'll talk to her attorney, and we'll get this resolved for you. But, the, but that process is so cumbersome and so awkward um, that it really, it really can be costly and caustic, and it almost always ends any kind of relationship among the partners. So that's really uh, beautiful, and I, it would be great. Well, it's not very beautiful. Well, no, I know. <laughs> You're right. Your description was beautiful. Uh, what I what I would love you to do is, um, you know, because I I think that listeners really like to to hear as 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 much as possible the real hows of how this works. Um, so you know, I don't know if there's consistently things that happen in a mediation process that you think consistently will help parties come together, will help parties be less conflictual, will help parties align around a solution, either coming together or separating, but a, a solution nonetheless. Sure. And one of the things to keep in mind as we talk about mediation and how that works is that one of the ways that it's really very different than arbitration or litigation. Uh, I think a, um, there was a, a large family business, the Haft family, in the Washington, D.C. area years ago, a conglomerate of companies. And 
And when the Haft family got into a dispute, the father and the son, and then the mother was dragged in and the sister was dragged in, all kinds of people were dragged into it must this. must have made family dinners very difficult. <laughs> it, it, oh, for, for many, many, many people, it was on the front page of the Washington Post for, you know, probably two, three years as it dragged out. And the final cost, I think, was over $30 million. In, in legal fees. But the, the judge in that case, I interviewed him once for an article about mediation and family businesses. And he pointed out that one of the major drawbacks to either litigation or arbitration is that control of the outcome passes from the business partners to someone else. And he, he explained how even judges like himself or arbitrators with the best intentions uh, wouldn't be humanly capable of understanding the nuances of the business the way the owners do. So one of the things is that one of the reasons that mediation can be effective is that you're actually not giving up control. You do understand those nuances, even if you're giving it up, even if the person who's a judge who looks like they're all knowing, but, Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, but with mediation. Um, but, but he made really clear that even the best judges, they're not trained in business. They don't know business generally that well, but they certainly don't know the business of the specific partners involved. So, I mean, he was making the point that the, the, what you want to do is really keep the control in the hands of the principals or the business partners themselves. And that's what me, that's sort of the beauty of mediation. As we <clears throat> tell all of our clients when we begin, as mediators, you want us to control the process, whom we're talking to, when we're talking, what we're talking about. But you, as the principals, as the co-owners, <clears throat> will remain in charge of the outcome. So there's nothing that's going to happen here where somebody else is going to tell you you're going to agree to the outcome or there won't be an agreement. So, David, maybe you could share the skill sets that you think you're bringing to a typical the typical kinds of mediations that you get involved in. Because, I mean, I will say, being someone who's worked with you, I, I know how elegantly you bring your uh your clinical experience, your clinical psychological experience, as well as blend that with your business acumen. But maybe you could summarize what you think are the skill sets that really can make a difference to people. You know, I'd like to say I was brilliant at this, but I I think instead I'd say while I enjoyed uh, my education and all the years it took to become a clinical psychologist, when I realized, Susan, that I wanted to work with co-owners, I, I said to myself, oh, my gosh, you know, working with co-owners, is, uh, it's really complicated. There are legal issues and there are business issues. And, yes, there are almost always interpersonal psychological issues going on and all of that. But what am I going to do? I don't know business that well. I don't know the law that well. And I thought, am I going to go back and get an MBA? Am I going to go to a, to go back and get a law degree? And I thought, I can't do that. I, I, you know what? I need people who have those kinds of degrees. So the the I'd like to say it was a genius, but really it was, it was not that. It was genius. It was genius. Yeah. <laughs> but I need I needed people on the team who had those 
kinds of expertise, but at the same time were really skilled with people who would be in conflict and have all kinds of emotional issues going on and hidden agendas and all of that. So it's not your average lawyer. It's not maybe even your average business consultant. But they have to have that skill set of being able to deal with people very skillfully who are in conflict and have their issues and all of that kind of thing. And and yet, as a psychologist doing this kind of work, I always loved business. I didn't want to be in my family's business, but I always loved business. And so I've learned a lot about all kinds of issues related to business partners and companies and how you run them. So we, I, I, I created a team. I got a team together. So it's a multidisciplinary team. It's fascinating to me that we are one of the only multidisciplinary teams in the country really focused on this niche of co-owners in business. It sort of fascinates me yeah. because there's, there's so there's many There's so much of it. I out mean, there. Yeah. And if you talk to anyone, they say, oh, yes, my father, my brother, somebody was in business. They had a partner. It was family. It wasn't family. And they had trouble. It's just almost part and parcel of, of working together. Uh, recently, we were working with a brother and a sister who had a business for 23 years. It's a very successful business. It operates in many com- countries, has over 300 employees, and they worked together for over 20 years, and yet they weren't doing well together. They really weren't speaking very much. Do you know what happened? I mean, had they been doing well together? And oh, then- they, oh they, had, they, they had in the beginning, and they were both the face of the company, but yet, you know, they just drifted apart and they had their, their differences kind of got the best of them in a way. So people in the company were realizing that they weren't uh, the brother and the sister that they had been uh, and, and, and they were the face of the company. So part of the company's culture was the two of them leading everyone. Um, so it if it had continued that way, it, it was going downhill. And, uh, and yet we, they found us and we helped them. One of my colleagues with a business background and I helped them really focus on their relationship and also what their roles were in the business and how they were working together. After six months, they reorganized the business structure of the company. They're now meeting regularly. Uh, they're, they both are realigned with a vision. Uh, it's that kind of, it's that kind of um, potential that exists when, when people who are partners avail themselves of mediation and the help that can be derived from that. So what I'm hearing from you around that situation is that you actually, there was a lot of ennui, I might throw in that word, between them, maybe non-specific problems that they couldn't identify. And in working with you, you brought some structure and focus to different aspects of what, of what might have been going wrong. 
and helped them work out agreements that then clarified understanding and and ways of working together that ultimately worked better yeah. for them. Yeah, and we and as you know, Susan, with your work, we were able to bring um, many tools to the table, like personality styles, um, instruments that allowed them to talk. I mean, the two of them talked for an entire, it was a, I think, a five-hour session just about their different styles using the feedback from the disc instrument, you know, a personal styles instrument. It was fabulous to see them use that data and understand each other better, even though they're in their uh, late 40s, early 50s, and our brother and sister, and certainly know each other very well, yet they were able to use that instrument to their advantage. An another one that you know is the uh, conflict, uh, conflict, Thomas Kilman conflict um, instrument that talks about collaboration, compromise, and also competing and avoiding, which they were doing a lot of. And that instrument, too, gave them more information about how they could be together and how they could communicate and understand one another better. And uh, so they, um, they said, actually, we met with them uh, yesterday, and they talked about how the, those tools helped them to create structures within which they could really communicate and relate to one another much more effectively and get, get to a, a place of collaboration that they'd actually never been to. They said, oh, there were lots of good things that had happened. You know, they're, they're a publicly traded company, actually, and their stock prices doubled one time years and years ago. Certainly something to be joyful about and to, uh, to share, but they said it's only now with this work that they really appreciate what true collaboration looks like. So uh, this kind of gets us into what you call the partnership charter in the sense that, mm. and it's very similar. I mean, my work, you know, I, I, I describe myself as a mediator and a coach and the, the mediation end is putting out the fires and the coaching is helping people proactively do the best they possibly can. Right. And in a sense, it, 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 it's pretty much what you're doing. You have mediation services, but then you're bringing in this structure, which, which is described in your book, which is called the Partnership Charter, that really breaks down all the different, you've really broken it down so that people can understand all the different components of what it takes to partner well together. Um, right. Could you say a little bit about what those components are? Well, I, I would be happy, yeah. happy to, Susan. And what happened there is that I started the business in the 90s and we were mediating conflicts among partners all over the country and during the 90s. And somewhere in there, I realized, to my great surprise, that while there are tons of books on business topics and relevant to running a business, there was almost nothing written about partners. So there are all kinds of books, books and books and books about how to have teams in business and how to make teams effective and the dysfunctions of teams and all of that stuff. There was nothing, almost nothing about, okay, so I have a business partner. How do we do that? 
And, and, and even more fascinating to me was that in business schools, there were no business schools that taught anything about being partners. Yeah, I remember in law school, all I got was like a text on partnerships, you know, but yeah. it was this big kind of heavy legal text right. that I don't right. think really talked about the dynamics, the, the real day-to-day issues that really came Right, out. it talked about the laws having to do with partners, and it talked about uh, partnerships versus an LLC versus a C corporation. That's why it gets such to be such a tome. But nothing about, okay, I've got a partner. How do, what, do, what do we really need to do? What do we really need to talk about? What do we really need to come to agreement about? So in the 90s, we were mediating conflicts all, all around the country and learning a heck of a lot. And, and people would sometimes ask me, well, what is it about partners? Why do they have such difficulties? Is it the money? Are people just greedy? Is it they have personalities that clash? Is it personal values? Their values are different, so they don't get along. Or is it, are they fighting over who owns what part of the company or what their roles are? And I would say, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Any all, and all of the above. <laughs> all of those. But you know what? If, if, you, if you really think about it, what you see is it's so easy to become partners. People can become partners and not even not even sign a document. You can become a part, a legal partner with someone if you just go out there and you start acting like partners. Wait, how is, how is that, David? Uh, explain that for folks. How can you be a legal partner without signing a thing? Mm, yeah, there's no real requirement. It's highly advisable to have a, a, a document, but, but if you start um, consulting with a friend, and you call yourselves the you know uh, best bright consultants around, and you just operate that way, and tell people you have a partner, you have a partner, and somebody it, could actually then sue the other partner for oh something. Oh my gosh! Absolutely. Oh, wow. Or people could sue your partner, and you'd be on the hook as well. Mm-hmm. So it's so easy to get into partnerships, um, but 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 what happens is you get you have pe- people have this idea, or they have a family business and they invite a son or daughter into it. But you have an idea and you get rolling and you get working on that idea and you find some money to make it happen and you find an employee and, and you don't really talk about how you're going to do it with your partner and you it feels good and you get going and you do talk a little bit here and there but you don't really have all the conversations that you need to have it's a little parallel to people getting married they can just jump, they can go they can get married overnight you know they don't have to really think about what does that really mean <laughs> it, it is it is very parallel people often say that it's just like being married except i spend more time with my business partner <laughs> yeah so the reality, so what is it? What is, so people need to do some planning. They need to talk about the business side of it and the personal side. Uh, I always tell people about um, the Godfather when um, Michael Corleone is ready to bump somebody off and, and, and his brother says, you know, what are you doing? And he said, don't worry. It's just business. It's not personal. (laughs) (laughs) It's so wonderful because it's such a lie. It is totally business and it's totally personal. So, you know, recognizing that 
it, nobody was taught how to be business partners. They were taught this business or that business maybe, but they weren't taught how to be business partners. And, and there aren't really books out there teaching that. I thought, you know, I've got to take the experiences I've learned because mm, while each one is a little different, there really are a limited number of topics that partners need to talk about. We call it discussions, negotiations, and agreements, the DNA of partners. They need to discuss, they need to negotiate, and they need to reach a lot of agreements about how they'll operate. And that then became the partnership charter, which is a, that structure for people to use to, to make sure they're having the difficult conversations, that they're not just saying, oh, okay, we're going we're gonna to get along, we're going to communicate with one another. Well, what does that mean? Or, yeah, we seem to have similar values. Well, what does that mean? What are those similar values? Where are your values different? Could you summarize uh, uh, just the, the different components? You already referred to them, but just uh, the different chunks, if you will, of a partnership charter. Sure. Well, there are. it's basically that there are both business and interpersonal issues. So the business issues, you could think about it. You've got to be on the same page about what the business is about, the vision and strategic direction of the business. You've got to come to some agreement about who owns exactly how much of the company. So some people are 50-50. Some people would never do 50-50, but they might do 51-49. Well, what does that mean? So there are those tricky, quite tricky ownership issues. And then there are... And the, often they do the 51-49 thinking that that will affect who has decision-making authority, which, of course, isn't related necessarily at all. So there's... Right, Susan. It could be quite different. Um, you could own a certain percentage, but you could give the other person these rights. And you, there's so many uh, great negotiation topics there for partners. How are we going to make these decisions? Can you make that decision, but I get to make these decisions over here? And, so know. there's decision-making, there's ownership, there's vision and um, then in the business. The, the yeah. roles and mm -hmm. titles and authority that you have, that's big. Then there are uh, governance issues. Like, are we going to have a board? Who's going to make these decisions? Are we going to have any outside people on our board? Is it going to be an advisory board that just gives us their best thinking? Or is it going to be a, quote, real or statutory board? So there are all those governance decisions. And then also in the business arena is this little topic of money. <laughs> Compensation. Never a problem. Never, Never a problem. A problem. <laughs> Compensation and perks and all of those things. And, and how does that work? And are, are, we're usually partners go into a business saying we're both – putting in 110%, you know, we're all in. But after five years, hmm, what happens when one person gets interested in something a little different and they're not working quite as hard and they don't seem committed to the same level? But, um, and then their partner looks at them and they say, oh my gosh, you're, we're making the same amount, but I don't know if you're putting in 20 or 30 hours a week and I'm putting in 50. It gets very complicated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But so that's the, those are primarily the topics on the business side, and then there are the interpersonal. Well, issues. Actually, let me stop you there yes. around the business side. So, like in that scenario you just described, 
uh, they come up with an agreement about they're going to share the money. And then somewhere down the way, somebody's doing much more of the work. And can they then, what happens in a charter? Are they bound to what they agreed to? Or can they renegotiate? Or what happens? Well, uh, part of the idea is that the, the charter is both a process and a product, Susan. It's it's the process of negotiations that most partners don't really have. They just do the basics and it's, um, it's not enough. And they oftentimes will get legal documents. But legal documents can are typically pretty boilerplate sort of documents. And they give people a false sense of security that they've actually had the conversations that they need to have. But really, over the years, we've had um, so many people come to us and, yes, they do have signed legal documents, but they don't really offer the kind of day-to-day, week-to-week, year-to-year guidance that people who are running an enterprise together need. They don't have that depth. So what happens in the scenario that I just painted to you? Um, Well, part of what you agree to typically in a partnership charter when you do this thorough kind of planning is okay when are how often are we going to sit down and review our charter and talk about how we're doing and if we're really living up to all of our agreements and do we need to make adjustments and do we need to make adjustments how do we do that so it's a living even though it can be binding it's also a living breathing document that can can it can be a a place to start from each time you rene- it could be a place to start from each time you renegotiate. Exactly, exactly. And well, and it's not so much renegotiate. What you basically do is you say, okay, we have a clear set of understandings about how we're going to operate, and our understanding is, for example, that we're both going to put in be full time. Okay, what does full time mean? And you really define that. Most partners never do that. So what happens is by the time partners finish developing this partnership charter and having all of the conversations and answering all the questions. And it's interesting, Susan, we have in the charter process, each person sits down with all of these units, both the business ones that we've talked about and the kind of interpersonal ones that we haven't touched on yet, but they answer a whole set of questions for themselves. And they really write out their, their answers and they do a lot of work with a workbook to do this. And then they come together and start to have those negotiations. But it really prepares them because, as we said, people aren't trained in what the issues are. They're never taught that. And you know, other than this book and maybe a couple others, there aren't really books that help them understand what all those issues are. So could you speak to the interpersonal? So you've yes. told us a bit about the business side of the, the, the components in the charter, the business components. What about the interpersonal? And is it just business and interpersonals or something else? That, That's those- really pretty much you could categorize it, um, the business and the interpersonal. Um, and on the interpersonal side, you've got, as I was talking about before with that brother and sister, the styles issue, you know, different different. There are ways to appreciate what people's uh, personality styles are and how they communicate and deal with people. That's very helpful to look at. And we actually encourage people to create commitments based on our our styles. So one person's style is to be very dominant. 
another person's style, maybe being very conscientious, slow to make decisions, while the dominant person likes to make decisions very quickly. How are we going to deal with that? That could be a real source of conflict day in and day out, unless we really appreciate it and understand how we're going to do it. Um, so there's styles. Similarly, with personal values, it's so critical for people to share uh, basic values because values underlie, they underpin all of, the, all of our big decisions. So how we treat our employees, for example, how we treat our customers is in some way quite dependent on what your values are. And, and we, it took me quite a while, but I found a good um, uh, kind of inventory that talks really about eight personal values and ranks them for people. I think it's just a very good tool to use um, when people are making, having to make decisions day in and day out together. So styles, values. Um, one thing that we heard from partners oftentimes when they got into conflict was when we say, well, what happened? What went wrong? Well, my partner didn't live up to my expectations. <laughs> oh, really? Okay, I understand that. Did you tell your partner what your expectations were? Silence. <laughs> well, well, no, <laughs> not exactly. They were supposed to read by mind. <laughs> right, right. So we have, so if the workbook has... Again, the, the parallels to marriage are strong here. <laughs> yes, yes. So uh, one of the units in the workbook just has people talk about their expectations and what they are for themselves and what their expectations of the other person are and even what they think the other person's expectations of them are. So it creates a really valuable, amazing conversation that, again, I would say probably 95% of the partners out there never have before they start out. Mm. So that's expectations. And then <clears throat> another piece is to really talk about what are people contributing and what do people expect to get out of being partners together. So um, contributions and rewards, we call it, because when people feel that what they're contributing is so much more than what their partner is contributing, or they're getting out less than what their partner is getting out, it creates a sense of inequity and it can destabilize partners. For sure. Yeah. All right. So... I don't know if you covered it all. We are we are uh, now um, bumping up against the hour, and I'm just aware of that, um, and want to make sure I give you time. If you've said everything about the partnership charter, which I think think you have, um, if there's um, well, I wanted to ask you your vision for the future of this work, like what your what your hopes are for it, and you know specifically. I don't know if there's something you could say about reduction in conflict because, because of course, that's what this podcast is focusing on, very concrete ways that people mm -hmm. are building methodologies to uh, create uh, more harmony. <laughs> right. So, well, I, I, that's, thank you, Susan, for asking that. There are really two, two things I would point to. One is, on the one hand, mediation, conflict resolution, and on the other hand, um, the partnership charter and conflict prevention. So 
those are the those have always been the two sides of the business, really. And in the mediation realm, uh, I look forward to to um, that ki- kind of work is so um, rewarding to do to help people get out of the awful places that they're in. Because I mean, so with family businesses, for example. Conflicts, serious conflicts in family businesses can pass from one generation to the next. They can determine whether parents are going to get to talk to their grandchildren and have a relationship. I've seen that numerous times. So being able to help families and also non-family partners resolve their conflicts and keep their businesses healthy, it's just so rewarding. And with partners it not only affects the partners and their families and their futures and their finances, but also their employees. I mean, we, there yeah, this, are... Yeah, this is not just about harmony. This is about productivity. And, and It's uh, about productivity, and it can ripple throughout companies and communities and have tremendous implications for people's lives. What do you mean communities? Well, it, you, there's, there are many large businesses um, that have gone under, have been sold to investors simply because partners could no longer get along. That was their only option left was really to say, look, we, let's we've got disband. Yeah. disband. Let's sell this thing. Mm-hmm. And everything changes. The whole game changes at that point. Mm-hmm. So we, mm, so, so that on that mediation side, that's really rewarding work. And I love finding people like yourself who want to participate in this work and want to learn more about about all of the different sides of the business mediation with closely held companies. So I love that, but also on the on the partnership charter side and the conflict prevention, uh, I'm just so excited about how we can get the these ideas and the partnership charter process out there to to more people all over because the need is um, it's just there's no limit to the need do you have any plans what are you going to and that you are willing to share what you're going to do well i uh i am you know with the, the new um technology and everything the goal is to really take the partnership charter workbook which is a physical workbook and then it's also you know digital versions that people can type in but also to, to take it online and to take it and be hyperlinked and help people understand the issues better and be able to have it be used worldwide by you know thousands and thousands and thousands so of- have it translated into different languages and really make sure. it available sure Sounds hugely, hugely useful. So, David, how would people get a copy of the book if they wanted to get it? Well, they can go to Amazon, and there there are some wonderful reviews of the book if they want to learn. I love learning about books through reading reviews. And they can also go – so they can go to Amazon and Google Partnership Charter or David Gage. Uh, they can also go to our website, BMC, BMC Associates website, and – even download the first couple chapters of the book uh, and find out more. They really talk about more about what partners are, who partners are, and how they operate, and the advantages and disadvantages, and as well as what the partnership charter is all about. And you know, Susan, you and I didn't touch on this, but 
the advantages to having partners is there's some good research out there now that really points to um, the, the, the real advantages in terms of the success rates of having a company with a partner as opposed to without. It's sort of intuitively obvious, but there's actually some research now that says it's really advantageous in terms of business. So that whole, all of those business part, all of those business advisors out there who are telling people, no, stay away from partnerships because they're dangerous. Well, they are, but A, there are real advantages to having partners, and B, if you plan them properly, they can be fabulous. I'm so glad you raised that because that's a topic that's so... uh you know, um, dear to my heart, just the generativity that comes with working with people and, and the ability to collaborate rather than being a solo operator. Mm-hmm. I think it's, uh, I think, so what you're saying, just to repeat it for folks, is that basically there's some pretty good research out there that there's a case really to be made. You can do better with partners than without them, even though there are so many advisors that would tell you, stay away from partners. It's a problem. It's dangerous. But there's a lot of uh, productivity, generativity that can be gained from partnering. Yeah, it's a, it is amazing. I mean, if you look at the companies that start and do incredibly well, it's hard to find many that aren't started by um, by partners, whether it's Google or Facebook or Hewlett Packard or whatever the company. Uh, but so I think advisors who who caution people away from having partners are doing people a real disservice, and I think it's in part because they don't know themselves how to really help partners prepare to be successful. Okay, well, that's a good place to stop because I think... <laughs> what a conversation. It, yeah. did, it did fly, Susan. Yeah, fun, I told you it would. I told you it would. I'm talking with you. Yeah, you too. So uh, I uh, look forward to listening to this. I think, it's, I think you re- really have been very explicit and, I mean, clear for people to understand what this process is about. So thanks, thanks a lot for the work. Oh, okay. Thank you, Susan. It was fun chatting with you about it. All right. Good. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Peacebuilding Podcast. Check out thepeacebuildingpodcast.com for show notes and for more great information and resources. Please email your comments, suggestions, and ideas to susan at thepeacebuildingpodcast.com. And join me next time for more great thinking, innovations, and ideas to take our planet to the next level.